You're listening to a production of Swanson Media. Hey everybody, this is Joe. I hope you're having a good week. This is my talk with Lucky Bastard um, from Fine Tattoo Work in Southern California. A guy who I was really excited to talk to, um, having tattooed in the same city in San Francisco um, around within a few years of each other. Um, I heard a lot of stories about him and um, was a pleasure sitting down with him and, and hearing some of his stories. So uh, thank you, Lucky, for coming on the show. Um, if anybody is interested, you can go click the link on my Instagram bio and that will send you to my web store and you can pick up a Time and Tide print. Uh, if you haven't seen those, you can check that out on my Instagram as well, at OG Joe Swanson. Um, it's a print I have available currently. Check that out if you dig it. Pick up a copy. It helps me out. I appreciate it. And again, this is my talk with Lucky Bastard. I hope you enjoy the show. This is Sullen Radio with Joe Swanson, the premier art-driven podcast. Welcome to Sullen Radio. I'm here with uh, somebody that I've been familiar with for a long time, Lucky Bastard. He's had a Sullen shirt out and um, somebody that has a steeped history in not only American-style tattooing, but Japanese tattooing, and I think is pushing the limits with um, what's being done right now with respect to mixing those styles and really taking advantage of what you've learned with Japanese ta style tattooing and and pushing it, man. How did that style develop? Um, I think it, it, it really started um, just doing American traditional for a long time. And I, I went to Japan and worked a, a few times there and was, uh, you know, I was always interested in Japanese tattooing, but it seemed like it was a little bit too uh, advanced for me at the time. So I would just kind of like look at it and watch it and, and not really, uh, I didn't really try it out until I came off the road uh, a few years ago. And uh, I had a client who wanted some uh, Japanese, a Japanese half sleeve. And, and so I kind of had to figure it out, you know, and I did one and I put that in the, in my portfolio and then, uh, you know that one got me another one, and then that one got me another one, and then, and then I really decided that I better kind of study this stuff, and so I would split my time in Japan with tattooing, you know, eagles and pinups on people all day, and then I would buy books and ask questions, and I got my back done by Horiyoshi, so he was he was a huge help in that respect as well. He gave me my my official Hori name, um, which was super cool, and. Uh, so it just kind of it, it kind of found me more than I found it. Right. What well, What was that experience like? You know, I think a lot of tattooers from my generation. Right. I've been tattooing this year twenty years, and we look at a guy like Horiyoshi, and I mean that's a legend. You know, that's somebody like like Bob Roberts who just right. walked up to the booth today. Like that. I fucking get enamored with that shit because I know the influence that he's had on all sorts of guys, oh, even yeah. guys that came through the shop that we talked about that I work at hard luck right. right now. All those guys have been influenced by that. Arnett and Uzi and all those dudes have been influenced by him. And it's exciting to see that. What what was that experience like getting tattooed by him? Um, it was uh, extremely painful. <laughs> it's the most painful tattoo I've ever gotten is from Oriochi. And everybody I've talked to, tattooers that have been, tattooed by him have said the same thing and it's amazingly fast 
when I the first time I saw him tattoo, I wanted to just quit tattooing because I knew I could never I could never get to that level, you know. But I, I you know, I stuck it out and and I I'm trying, you know, I try and do half of what Horiyoshi was doing a, a, a few years ago, where he was touching like six, seven people a day, you know. So I'm trying to touch three people a day and do as much as I can, but. It's, it's, you know, to be in the presence of that guy was just unbelievable. And, to, you know, I asked him to do my back, and and he said yes, which is, he doesn't always say yes, you know. Right. So I was super stoked, and, and I try and show up early for every appointment, and I stay the rest of the day and watch him tattoo. And, yeah, it's just awe-inspiring. I mean, like, I've known Bob Roberts and, and his family for a long time, and they've influenced my work a, a ton and so has you know Horiyoshi and all the other yeah. people I've come across. You know what I love about Bob's work is it has that you know he has that music background that, that album cover background that kind of illustrative you know idea of design right. and what I love about his stuff is it's to a certain degree cartoony but it's so powerful and so well executed that that gets lost, and what you see is just the impact of it. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And all his old like stuff. I looked at the tattoo time stuff, and that's where I was introduced to, right. to Bob. And then I further researched and and sought out interviews and things like that that he'd done over the years. And his Tibetan stuff, that large scale Tibetan work. Oh yeah, yeah. There was a book at Picture Machine that was. Um, I think you can get it now um, fairly easily, but it was all about the sacred like um geometry of those paintings and right. how they laid them out and what they did and it was it was religion to them it wasn't fucking right. art and um you know you see that he took that influence from them and put those big pieces of work together and as a painter and as then as a tattooer how much he impacted what we do today it's exciting to meet a guy like that you know? yeah yeah well i mean like he you know he was able to he was like one of the first ones I saw who was able to do this kind of big, big work, and it had a Japanese feeling to it, but it was American. It was all more the way. American, like <laughs> it was more American than Hardy's too. You know, Hardy's had more of a Japanese feel. It had that more, um, like he was experimenting yeah, yeah. more, and and Bob I think took that those elements of that traditional American style tattoo, and he took those best elements and he took the fucking best elements of the Japanese shit yeah, and he yeah. mixed them together and he fucking produced some shit that was mind-blowing. And it's still, you know, hugely, hugely influential to me. I, I still reference his work all the time when I'm drawing for, for big pieces and stuff. It's, you know, it's he for me, he, he got it right. He did it. He perfected it. He got it to where, where, uh, where we all wanted to be. Yeah. Talk about your development of your style, man. Like, it's, to me... You know, I'm really excited about it because I see it and I don't see anybody else doing that bold of work. Not that it's it's not that it's that bold of work. It is that style of the boldness that comes through. Like it definitely has a unique flair to it. Talk about the development of that style. Obviously, your trips to Japan have influenced that. You know, the people that you surrounded yourself have influenced that. But how did that come to be that, that you really sought after that work? You know, I, I was... I think I was doing what a lot of American and, and European tattooers were doing early on, which was I was trying to uh, emulate Horiyoshi's work. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's I think it's because that was the most information we had as a culture, you know, came from the books that had 
Oriyoshi stuff. So we all just kind of jumped on that bandwagon. But the longer I spent in Japan and the more people I met, um, more hand pokers and, and, and old traditional family tattooers, I started to notice that, like, there's, you know, there's small differences in styles and they're regional and, they're, and you know, so there'll be stuff that's going on in one area of Japan that's totally different than, than what I've been seeing in Yokohama and, and Tokyo. So I started to kind of get deeper and buy older books and, and find out, like, you know, asking my Japanese friends, like, who the fuck did this? amazing back piece that there's only one photo of in this really rare book and they would tell me and i try and find more information and more information you know but like i i found myself really attracted to that simple old hand poke look that that i'm trying to emulate now you know like it seemed more familiar to me it felt more like a traditional american tattoo yeah um so i think i think i just gra- gradually gravitated towards that because it was it's it's easier for me. Yeah, I think you know. As I'm thinking about it now, you know, you have that. There is a certain Japanese style that has the background is bolder, right? It's bigger fields of of black. Yeah, yeah. And so there, it's less. Not that it's less dynamic, but it's less stuff going on. Yeah, yeah. And it focuses more on that foreground, and the background is is more of a, a, a full plane of right. bigger pieces, and. Uh, it does translate more from that American style because you have those, you know, big color blasts or clouds and shit like that that you're right. going to see in those. And uh, so, yeah, you can definitely see the influence there of that traditional traditional work, but coming through in that Japanese style right. uh, of those elements like the wind and the water. Yeah, I mean, they all, you know, they, they work on the same basic premise of, you know, bold lines bold colors, lots of black. It's just the combination of how they're put together between a Japanese tattoo or an American tattoo. It's but it's all like so similar. It just it really kind of it it clicked for me when I saw the the older kind of more uh less refined stuff than what Horiyoshi's doing. And Horiyoshi's an innovator, you know, he was he's not a he's not an emulator. He actually made huge changes in the way tattooing is done in Japan. But that's not me. I'm not Japanese, and I'm not the innovator of Japan. I'm I'm the guy that 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 can only do what's been laid down for me already. I can't make new Japanese tattoos because I'm not a Japanese guy. You know what I mean? I can only do what I do best and and try and emulate that old style. Right. But I think what's exciting is that you are a guy who now, in this day and age, and with the connectivity that tattooing has, you can be an innovator in that juxtaposition of those styles. You know what I mean? And that I would think be you cool. are. You know what I mean? Awesome. I know. I do think that you are. Because, well, thank you very much. Um, it, it is something that is unique. And in a time where um, you can walk around a convention hall and see 15 different dudes doing one style. And I've talked about it before on this podcast where we're in a time in tattooing where a guy can take a style of tattooing that's almost like relevant to just a decade of time. Like, 70s right. tattooing or 80s tattooing and they can they make their mark now on instagram right. with just doing that fucking style of tattooing yeah for sure so if you put in something that is taking elements from uh the hit the, the hundreds of years history of or the 120 years history of american tattooing and the hundreds of years of tattooing thousands of years of tattooing of japanese history right. and you can mix those together and you can make a new style well that's relevant fucking today Right, and that's right. what you're doing, and I, I, it's exciting for me as a guy who's been tattooing 20 years to see that shit. 
Well, I'm glad that you know that that it worked. You know that the, that uh, that people are responding to it and, and people like it. And I get I I'm always stoked when Japanese people tell me you know like wow man you're getting really close you know like and that's always cool. But like I'm still like I said I'm not there's my voice is very American you know like I try really hard to to, to Japanese it up as much as I can but it still comes out with that with that flavor and and you know I'm 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 content with that I'm not trying to not trying to force it. it yeah I'm not trying to you know, I'm not trying to be Japanese. I'm just trying to give my clients what they want, and that's what they've responded to is this kind of bigger, thicker, old, traditional style. And I love doing it, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really, really stoked to be a tattooer and be alive right now. Like, yeah. And I've been able to watch, you know, for 25-plus years the, the whole thing go down. And, you know, people complain about where the business is at right now, but, man, this is it for us, like... We weren't doing bodysuits 20 years ago. The bodysuit was a photo in a book, you know? Yes. Like now we have educated clients, we have educated tattooers, and it's just, you know, it's becoming uh, you know, it's it's it just keeps growing, and I think yeah. it's still, you know, I still think it's a great time to be tattooer. I think it's it's definitely an exciting time to be a tattooer. And um, you know, let's talk about that early time for you. I don't know how long you've been tattooing when uh um, our, our history passed, but uh, we both worked at um, around San Francisco in that early mid nineties yeah, time. Yeah. Um, actually, mine was a little bit later, ninety seven to ninety or ninety nine to two thousand. Right. You came a little bit before that. Talk about that time in San Francisco because when I came up there, it was one of those picture machine was one of those shops. It was one of the eight power shops in San Francisco. It was right. touted in magazines as that. And now. At, out of those eight shops, I believe that Picture Machine was kind of on that lower scale, right? It wasn't right. a it wasn't a tattoo city, it wasn't a diamond club, but it was, you know, still in the mix because it had good guys coming through there. Right. You know, um, I can name a handful of motherfuckers that came through there at some point whose name was affiliated with Picture Machine. But talk about that time in San Francisco for you, man, because for me it was a very formidable time. It was it was a, a, a really amazing time. To, to be there, I was really stoked. I think I moved up there in the early '90s, and uh, and got to hang out and watch a lot of a lot of, of cool stuff go down. And like, I mean, it was it was great to be around uh, a city like that where everybody, all the tattooers, were real friendly. You know, you'd see each other out, and, and everybody was nice to each other, and they talked to each other and stuff. But there was everybody kind of had their own little scene going on. And like, when I moved up there, you know, I saw what was going on, and I was really stoked to end up at the Picture Machine because. I liked that. I came from, uh, you know, hanging out at Burt Grimm's and, and being around old flash and old photos and, and that kind of tattooing. And so when I got into the picture machine, I felt pretty comfortable there because we weren't in the mix of all the drama and nobody was, you know, there wasn't a lot of ego going on. It was really, a, a you know, it was a very customer oriented shop, you know, it was a street shop open till midnight. You know, I worked the, the night shift for many, many years there and, and I loved it. I loved that that old school vibe and that feel of like you know that was before the internet and you know the mystery was still there you know when people walked in that shop they were intimidated and they were you know they didn't have all the answers like they have now you right. know what i mean like so it was it was a good time it was a great time to be tattooing there for sure i mean there was all that crazy stuff that marcus pacheco and 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 all these you know new school guys were, were busting stuff out that was amazing but it just it didn't fit what i what well, my idea of tattooing was, and the picture machine and Goldfields, those felt more like 
like home to me. So I, I, I spent a lot of time hanging out at Goldfields when I wasn't working at the picture machine. Yeah. Right on. And I, you know, I had a good time doing that. Um, and, uh, and I learned a lot, you know, I learned a lot from just sitting in the picture machine and going through acetate stencils and, Boss. and looking through, right. you know, and, and, and working in the soldering station where, where got, you know, where Pat used to work and, and just, you know, it was just, I, I loved it. I thought it was a great shop and, you know, it, it definitely, we were not at that time, you know, cutting edge for sure, but right. I was tattooing people whose grandfathers got tattooed in that shop and that for me was enough you know yeah. like i didn't need to tattoo every hipster in san francisco when i could tattoo these real folks that were getting real tattoos you know and there was no they weren't condescending and they weren't experts and they just yeah. really wanted to get a nice tattoo yeah there was still that vibe when i worked there you know people were still coming in picking stuff up about halfway through the time that i worked there a couple years um or about a year time it went through a change and they pulled all that flash off the wall but even in the beginning i i was tattooing stuff off the wall right you know yeah. still had those paintings down the hall right and uh, it was still an empty you know suicide hotline fucking office <laughs> up top you yeah, know, yeah, it's yeah. Fucking crazy vibes up in that bitch right and um but you know i've also hung out in gold fields and it had that same feel you know i talked to talked to henry and he was good friends with um uh, Vince Pelton, the guy I worked for for a long time at okay. Pop's Tattoo yeah, in yeah. Vallejo. And, um, you know, so I would sit up there. I was introduced. I was told by Chuck Eldridge um, when I was doing a <laughs> – well, I did a um, – first time I went up to Goldfields, I was doing a guest spot at Erno's. Okay. And uh, back when Erno was living in the fucking yeah, little yeah, yeah. Um, museum that was right. in his shop. And uh, Greg Coles was still there. And right. George Campisi was up in there um, doing his thing early on. And um, – Chuck Eldridge, I had dinner with him one night. He, him and his uh, apprentice at, at that time rode their bikes. You know, Chuck is a fucking yeah, yeah, bicycle yeah, yeah. guy. He rode his bike over <laughs> to San Francisco one night and uh, had dinner with me. And he's like, you got to go over and see Goldfields. You, know, you got to go stop in and talk to him. Yeah, he's yeah, like, for sure. I had that some Minis a Minnesota connection with him. You know, right, okay, he was from okay. St. Paul, Lutheran yeah, yeah. guy, you know. Right. And uh, that's what Vince always used to tell me, too. He's like, go over there and give him shit about being a Lutheran and shit. <laughs> and... Uh, um, so yeah, I went up and talked to to go, you know, to Henry and had great conversation with him up there and and just being in that environment up in North Beach in that shop where you know that fucking irons walked in there. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, exactly. walked across the street with a cup of coffee and you know it's it's written about that he's like Henry, you know, um, what about the good old days? And Henry tells him, you know what, boy, these are the good old days right, right. now. You know, absolutely, um, yeah. You have that vibe and you have that. Um, shit, and that's what San Francisco was. I was fortunate to be a little bit of a part of it. I think, you know, uh, you were too, and it's exciting to see where that has come from there to now. Right, yeah, yeah. So. I mean, that city, when I was there, there was only like nine or ten shops, and, and everybody stayed far away from each other. Like, everybody was, was, was pretty far, you know, physically from each other's shops. Yes. There was one guy on 8th Street, a couple guys up in North Beach, you know what I mean? But yes. like, now they're you know the the two man shop or the the, the single man shop are are becoming a, a real big thing now. So it's like uh, I think I think we're gonna lose a lot of that. You know, like people have told me that the street shop is is dying. You know, and it, I don't think it's true. I don't think it'll ever die because there's always gonna be people that want that spontaneous tattoo. You know, but um, you know the the 
the, the landscape is changing, and now you're having these two-man shops or these private studios and stuff. And it just, I think a, a lot of what made those shops so cool was having a crew of guys in there, and they're bouncing ideas off each other, and they're, they're working, and they're, they're, they're fucking around, and they're, you know what I mean? And it's that, that kind of stuff, I think, is we're going to start losing that now. Do you think now, talk, let's talk about your new shop. FT, uh, not your new shop. You've had it for a, a great number of years, FTW. Um, talk about that shop, and is that stuff that you're trying to instill in your shop to keep that going? Yeah, I, you know, uh, originally I trained everybody in my shop. Like I would, <laughs> I would bring them in, and they'd either, you know, have a couple years under their belt from from working at another shop where they weren't learning what they wanted to learn, or yeah. a few guys I took from scratch, you know, and I and I raised them up. And that was, I got that from Henry, you know, he said, you know, if you, if you raise these guys from pups, then they will be loyal and you'll get a lot of years out of them. And I have, you know, I've gotten a lot of long-term employees and it's, and it's awesome. You know, I get to watch them grow and I get to watch their work grow, but it's very important to me that they learn how to draw in a tattoo style. You know what I mean? Like there's a very specific way to draw for what we do, um, you know, in my that's my idea. You know, that's just stuff that's been handed down from me generationally from other guys. And so everybody's got their own concept of what tattoo should be now. But for me, it's very clear and 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 and, and concise. And I try and instill that in my guys. Um, but you know, I think what I've learned a lot from from teaching guys is that there's got to be a point where you just let them go and they're gonna do their thing. You know, they're gonna they're gonna make their own choices and. They might not, you know, I might be like, hey, man, you know, fuck, I don't put all this in there. And they're like, well, you know, that's what I do. And it's like, all right, all right, I got to I gotta stop being so, you know, hard-lined about it. Because it is, it's a fluid thing. It's a, it's an open thing. And, and my hard-line ideas about what tattoos are, they might be getting in the way. You know what I mean? So I got to kind of, like, let that, I got to let these guys kind of do it. Because they're younger than me. And they, they, they're on a different trip, man. Like, my trip was so very you know, solid and rock, you know, ingrained in me. And there was a purpose, you know, the environment, like you said, the environment has changed. Absolutely. And, um, I think what we can do as people that are, um, you know, have 20, 25 plus, you know, years into it is we can figure out what worked for the things that were instilled in us. And we can try to implement those in a new way into those other guys that are coming behind us right you know and not necessarily is it going to be our way but what was the sentiment behind what was our way and let's try to continue that right. because if as long as they have that sentiment of ethic and that sentiment of work you know a uh, uh, standard of work right then that's going to be okay they're going to continue to go on and that sentiment is going to be passed on and it talked about it earlier today with um with rick walters who um we talked about that lineage and some right. of that lineage is being lost you know that idea of lineage right. that passed down craft because guys are learning off the internet they're learning individually right and the only thing they've ever done is worked in a private studio now hopefully they begin to expand themselves to guest spots right. and to conventions so that they can sit down with other people and that becomes their lineage right right you know but i mean it's it it i think we lost a lot of the lineages because there's so many people tattooing now that not everybody could be apprenticed correctly or, you know, apprenticed old school way. So, like, yeah, we get a lot of guys that they learn from a friend who learned from a friend. And, you know, they 
they don't have all that they don't have all the information yet and i think if they do really love it they'll study it and they'll find it on their own it's going to take longer than having somebody that's standing over you telling you like that's wrong <laughs> but it also like took us longer we maybe have gotten a, a more solid base but it took us longer to find that information too though you know we Absolutely. had to travel yeah. we had to go to guest spots we had to go to conventions we had to foster right. those relationships with people who were like-minded and had experienced things that we hadn't experienced so that we could get that from them so um and, and they could get things from us that we had experienced right and so it, it is a an ebb and a flow in it and it and you have to take advantage of of even though the information is out there i think you have to take advantage of putting yourself out there even further well i think you know like the a lot of these guys are growing up where they grew up with the internet and they grew up with information at their fingertips and yes. for us it was so much harder to get that information originally that like i think we valued it more only because it was such a struggle to get any fucking information about tattooing you you know you're clipping out anything you see in a magazine or a, or a newspaper or you know it, it was Man, all that shit and now it's you, all out there you know yeah, i have a i have a binder that had a binder because I gave it to my one apprentice that I ever apprenticed, Paul Urit, out of San Francisco, Nowheresville Gallery, um, at Nowheresville on Instagram. Go check him out because he's a bad motherfucker doing stuff that is pushing the limits of fine art with a blend of tattoo, you know? Right. And I had a binder that I fucking had put interviews from Bob Roberts, interviews right. from Eddie Deutsch, interviews from this guy and that guy and all these things and I put them in, in a four four inch binder with slip covers you know right, right. And, and i pulled them out of magazines and i would just collect this stuff and he, he's, he's got it but i still had it and it was like my way of like i need to revisit maybe Absolutely, i can like yeah. look and find something else that these guys are doing right and um and you, all, know. you know all that information was so important because there wasn't that much of it out there and i think now that there is so much of that information out there and, and you can learn how to tattoo off the internet that it's harder to find the good information you know like there's so much out there it's hard for it's hard for young guys to figure out what what's right and what's wrong right. because there's so many people doing whatever the hell they want and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't and a lot of it time will tell you know what sure. i mean like we'll, we'll see in 15 years if that was a good idea or not right you know? and that you know what man it's it's kind of cool to have you know sitting here at this moment seeing like we've at least been through um couple machine developments oh yeah man ink developments you know guys doing it themselves to now you know a production of every fucking color that you want right um and we're gonna see how that develops over the next 10 years exactly um yeah man it's it's uh i think it's it's expanding exponentially absolutely and i think you know like I'm, i'm stoked for it i'm I'm happy to see where it goes. You know, a lot of a lot of guys from 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 my generation, they're not into it, man. They're super pissed because they see it all getting taken away from them. You know, and it, and I understand that side of it as well. But like, you know, like I said, this is a fluid thing. This has changed drastically over the last few hundred years. Yep. Uh, you know, of of humans tattooing each other. So it's great that we've got you know we've gone from a cottage industry to a full on industry where people can make these you know like can can manufacture stuff now because everything we had before we were just 
building we're, ourselves. Yeah, we're stealing it from other pieces. And, and that's stuff. what Rick said. He's like, hey, I can go tattoo anywhere in the world. All my guys that I've ever apprenticed can t- go tattoo anywhere in the world with a, you know, with a hardware store. Right. And, uh, you know, some ingenuity. Yeah, and man. And he's like, I've taught them that. And now it's, he's like, without a supply company, I can do that. Right. You and know? that's the thing is like, we all, I think a lot of us still live in fear of, the, the company is being taken away. You know, like, it's almost like we've been tattooing for so long. It's like, oh, now we have all this access to this stuff, but we're still living in, in constant fear of, of them pulling the rug out from under us, and we're going to have to go back to making our own tubes and making our own everything, you know? And so, like, from our generation, we're holding on to that. It might not happen, and it might happen. They might criminalize tattooing somewhere down the line, and we'll have to do that. And if, if that's what happens, you know, like, I know I'm prepared. I know Rick's prepared. I know certain people are, are definitely prepared. And like you said, could make a tattoo machine from a hardware store and, and make it happen. And, and that's cool. A lot of guys now can't even tune their own machines. They just buy a machine, run it till it stops working right, and throw it in the drawer. Mm-hmm. And that's cool, too. You know, like, they don't need to know it. You know what I mean? Nobody's really going to pull the rug out from under us. And if they do, those guys can go, you know, they can either get with the program and learn that, or they can go do something else, you know? Right. Yeah. No, it's crazy. How do you balance that, man? You know, the um, the idea of that old school mentality of do it all yourself and this new kind of idea of this industry has money behind it now. You know, this, this industry has advertising and sponsorship dollars and, and right. things like shit, things like this, selling right. radio, you know, podcasts right. now that are that are being viable and guys that are dope like Troy Denning and Keith Caramarello they're both doing that shit right you know? right. and it's and it's i think it's going to even get bigger so think, how do you balance that i don't even know i don't know if we really have to balance it i think i think it's all it can just go it can just go man because now it's like you know we 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 created our own media early on we made you know hardy published those tattoo times books those became the bible you know like yeah. we're a do-it-yourself kind of industry and so it's cool that we have all this other stuff, you know, these big companies and everything. But, like, for myself, man, I'm still running the same tubes I was running 20 years ago. I'm still basically using the same equipment. Like, my, you know, there hasn't been that many technological advances in my work. Um, I switched over from coil to rotary at one point, and that was that was probably the biggest thing that ever happened, you know, yeah. in my career. What, what rotary do you use? I use Bishop now. I, I tried a bunch of different ones. Um, and, uh, and I liked some of them better than others. Um, but, uh, Julie Quintanar told me about, uh, about the, the Bishop. And then I met Franco who makes them and he gave me one and, uh, the precision and the, and, and was right there. And I really loved the way it worked. So I started working with that pretty much, uh, that's, that's, that's my main shader. Like that's pretty much what I use all the time. Um. For me, it was it was an easy transition because I wasn't uh, I wasn't loyal to the coil, right? You know what I mean? Like for me, it's pencils. You know, like one pencil might be a little bit better than another pencil, but we're still fucking using pencils, man. They're just machines that make tattoos. The guys who get upset about rotaries trip me out. You know what I mean? Because it's just a fucking tool, man. And you know when the Jap, you know, because I'm following a lot of Japanese stuff. So when the Japanese Hand pokers would retire from the hand tool because they were, you know, having back aches or whatever led them to that. They wouldn't go to the coil machine. They went to the rotary machine. Canister, old canister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
and that stuff is like, you know, I'm trying to emulate a style here. I'm going to use what they use. I think people got, they got thrown off the case because Horiyoshi uses coil, but he was one of the only ones. And that was from Hardy. Hardy gave him coiled machines. You know what I mean? Like it's just influence. Yeah, right? it's just influence. And like, if it would have been, you know, the other way around, if, if Horiyoshi would have found the machine by himself, it would have been a rotary. Because that's pretty much what those guys have been using down there as soon as they, they moved on from the hand tool. I remember seeing a, uh, a rotary that was being used at, um, I think it was a 99 Dennis Guara tattoo tour in Miami. And uh, there was a Japanese guy tattooing there. Um, and it was like the coil or the um, the canister was sideways on it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the way that, that he was holding his hand was right. it was pointing the other direction. Right. And, and that's something you can't do with a coiled machine because they're usually made out of some kind of cast metal. And then the coil cores themselves are. I mean, this they're heavy, man. They're they're meant to be heavy, and that's yeah. and you know that's that's awesome. And that they they serve. I mean, these all serve a purpose, and it's all you know personal thing. Like I like being able to flip. My machine, 360 degrees in my between my fingers, without it, you know, feel like it's gonna crack my my wrist off. Yep. You know, and for me, also like a big thing for me, why I switched to the rotary and why I continue to use uh, the Bishop and and rotaries in general is it hurts my clients less. You know, and I've got people that were grabbing onto the table when they were getting tattooed with a coiled machine, and now they're falling asleep. What do you think that is? The efficiency or I don't, you know, know what, I, don't, I don't know and I don't care. All I know <laughs> is that it's not, you know, it doesn't hurt them as much and they're responding well, which means they can sit longer, which means I can do my job. So for me, you know, when I'm it's tattooing the back of somebody's thigh or their butt cheek, I'm not, I don't want them to be in pain. I need them to sit still. And so the machine that does the job with the least amount of pain for me is going to always win. Right. You know, because I yeah. hate getting tattooed. It sucks. Yeah. It hurts. It does. It does. <laughs> I used uh, last the last tattoo I got, uh, other than my like fingers and shit, you know that's that's minimal. But the last uh, major tattoo I got, it was on my ribs, up on my armpit, and it was a skull. And I actually used numbing cream. I was like, I have my whole torso, I have one whole leg, like I have my back right. piece done, like or or in progress. I've been through that. Like right. I don't need to sit through some bullshit no more. If I'm gonna sit for an hour and a half or two hours, I use the Inkies numbing cream, and it was like. For me, at that moment, it was like cool. Right. You know, it still fucking hurt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it yeah, was like no getting all the way out of the pain. No. For me personally, like I've never used any uh, any drugs, uh, either internal or external, for when yeah. I was getting tattooed. Because for me, and this is like I said, this is a personal thing. For me, it's my relationship with the pain is important, so that I know what I'm going through. And I think it, it was because when I was getting. Uh, my back started with Horiyoshi. He asked me how old I was, and at the time I was 29. I said, I'm 29. And he goes, and he just laughs at me. He goes, when I'm 30, my bodysuit was finished. Oh. And so he's starting my tattoo, and he's around 60 years old. So there's 30 years of time between his relationship with the pain. So he doesn't have that same understanding anymore, yeah. which his, his style is so brutal. It, it spawns from that. It's like I still to this day am getting heavily tattooed in big spots and i've been doing it slowly like it, it was never a race to get covered for me it was always about having this long-term relationship with the pain so that i understand what i'm doing to people 
But again, this is my own personal right. trip. You know, talk about talk about the brutalness of his style. What makes it brutal like that? In you your, know, it, in your it, idea it's of it. it's really the most humane way to tattoo. I think it's very dry. He's not using a lot of Vaseline, if any at all, um, and he just goes for it. He goes as fast as he can. He goes hard, and he gets that shit done. And if you move, he'll ride you. Like I've watched him ride lines where the guy will the body will freak out. And he'll just continue on. He doesn't stop. You know, it's just, it's, it seems brutal, but it really is the most humane way to tattoo. It's just to get that shit in as fast as you can and get it over with, you know? Yeah, absolutely, man. Fucking A. Well, um, let's talk about your shop. Um, I want to get a little uh, plug to that. Make sure people know where they can come get a, get a hold of you, how they can find out about your work, um, find out about your history and, uh, and your lineage in tattooing. Um, where can people do that? Um, my shop's name is Fine Tattoo Work. It's in uh, Orange. Uh, the website's finetattooework.com. Um, and then it's at Fine Tattoo Work for Instagram. I'm at Lucky Bastard, FTW. It's, uh, there's some underscores and stuff in there, but you can find me pretty easily. Where did that name come from? Oh, man. That's a, that's a long one. Um, I'm half Mexican and I'm half white, I half Irish, and I grew up in a lot of Mexican neighborhoods. And the only Irish person that Mexicans know is the guy from the Lucky Charms box of cereal. So it kind of started there. And then uh, when I I was working in a shop in uh, uh, where is that Sunnyvale, like south of San Francisco, for a little while, and I had done a piece of flash and I signed it Lucky, and I was gonna put motherfucker at the you know as a joke but that was a little too you know graphic for the shop i didn't want to i don't want to have the word fuck anywhere you know what i mean <laughs> so i just put lucky bastard and then my boss i got a phone call one day and somebody asked for lucky and he goes oh you mean lucky bastard and then it kind of stuck from there and then i put it on a business card and once it's on a business card it's done it's your name and you know i was young i was in my 20s when i came up with it and like it's not a name that that, that a full-grown man would go up for you know, up with for himself at this point, you know, like it's a, it's a pretty cocky name. And at the time it worked and I'm glad I, I got it, you know, and, and, it's but it stuck. was, it, it, and it was, you know, the influence is straight from tattoo. I mean, the needle name was like almost immediate. Some people did it to avoid their using their family name because it brought their family name down. But a lot of people did it to keep your name fresh you know like if you were doc or sailor or almost become a character as opposed yeah. to you know that that's a big part of i believe um is tattooing is that character the people the reason people come and get tattooed by you you know is uh a lot of times what they're feeling and right. what they're vibing with and you're and selling them the, this experience you know the tattoo is the end result but the experience of getting tattooed mm -hmm. was for me was was a big thing and it was still mysterious and it was still you know, like like you said, you're creating a character or a persona that you put on at the shop because tattooers don't have bad days. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can't have a bad day. Just because you're grumpy doesn't mean you can take it out on your clients. You have to be able to switch into to, to the mode of tattooing and dealing with your clients and giving them the best experience that you can because that's what's going to have them come back. You know what I mean? You being, might be really good, but if you're a dick, you're not going to yeah, get returned. Being clients. selfless is actually being selfish because right. you're going to get them coming back. Absolutely, right? man. So be a little selfless when you're dealing with them. 
and they'll resonate with you and you come back. Right. And then, you know, you can do the stuff that you want. Exactly. It's just selfish as an artist to right, do it. Right, exactly. So it, it comes full circle if you treat, treat your clients right and, uh, and do it right, man. Well, I, I think that, um, your career has definitely to date been exciting and, and you've been a lucky bastard, man. <laughs> well, and, thank uh, you very much, man. It's cool to sit down and talk with you finally and, and actually have a chance to ask some of the questions that I, that I, you know, enjoy thinking about. Right. And, you know, talking about San Francisco, a place that I've experienced. Right. And, and, um, so, man, I appreciate it. Man. Hey, no problem, sure. man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it was great. Thank you. Thank you again to Lucky Bastard for coming on the show. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I appreciate all the support every week. Uh, make sure to go check out that print, Time and Tide, on my Instagram, at OG Joe Swanson. Click the link in the bio and uh, scoop one up if you'd like. So thank you very much, and uh, we'll talk to you next week.